everybody. Welcome to another episode of Dash American, where we bring in people from all different kinds of cultural backgrounds and people who have different relationships with their cultural backgrounds to come together and share their stories. I'm Ruthie Frazio, and I will be moderating today's discussion. Uh, today, we have a super special episode. We got our friends here from Hapa Mag, which is a publication by Hapas for everyone, to talk about their experiences growing up as Hapas, also known as Happy. So, let's meet the team today. If you guys want to introduce yourselves. Hey, I'm Alex Chester. And I'm Melissa Slaughter. Um, and then just a quick, like, cultural background, what your halfy is and what the other half is, and then, like, a fun fact about you guys that we think our viewers should know. Oh, God. Um, I'm <laughs> half Japanese, French, Russian, Romanian, Polish, English, Jew. Um, a fun fact. I'm a crazy cat lady. <laughs> that is very true. Amazing. No, she is, I though. I birth kittens. She really does want <laughs> a birth kittens. Okay, so there you go. Amazing. Um, I'm half Japanese, half, like, Southern American slash kind of English. English was, like, so long ago, though, like, 200 years ago. My family is English. We're really just Southern now. Um, and then fun fact about me is I also produce a podcast called We're Not All Ninjas. And I actually went to um, yes, a panel of that podcast. Yeah, she did. Which is where we all became friends. Yar. So it's nice to kind of come full circle with you guys. So first of all, thank you so much for doing this today. Um, we are really excited to get this collab going. Um, so growing up, was there ever a moment that you were like, oh, I'm a little different? Or like what was kind of the environment that you guys grew up with? Uh, yeah, so I was a child actor slash model, <laughs> so I constantly was being told that I was different. So from the age, like, five upwards, it was either I was never Asian enough or white enough, and I'd have my agents telling me this, like, you need to make yourself look more Asian, or we need to make you look more white, let's bleach your hair, or, like, pluck your eyebrows, they're not so hairy, um... Yeah, so I was always aware that I didn't fit in. Though in my head, because I grew up in Orange County, um, I always thought I was like this blonde, blue-eyed chick. So sometimes I would always like look in the mirror and I'd be really surprised about what I would see. And no one in my family is blonde. Like we're all like dark Eastern European women. Um, but yeah, so I was always being told that you didn't, I didn't fit in. I'm from Oklahoma, <laughs> so super fun. Super fun. Um, I feel like I dedicate a, I, I dealt a lot of media to this because it like I was one of ten Asian kids in my whole high school. Um, I have a lot of remembrances of being like pointed out as not fitting in. Like especially, I very distinctly remember at, being at like an arts camp and I was taking like a pottery class and this girl was like, "So are you from China?" And I was like, "No, my mom's Japanese." And she was like, "But is that China?" And my brother and I, like, getting furious with people who didn't understand that China did not equal all Asians because Oklahoma is, like, ranked 48th in education in the U.S. What am I trying? Yeah, I had, like, a lot of crazy, like, identity crises from be from very young um, heading on up. Like, I also went to Catholic school. Nice. Okay. I'm not Catholic. <laughs> I'm not baptized. My family is not religious. It was just one of the only good schools in our area because I'm from a very, very small town in Oklahoma. Because Oklahoma. Oklahoma. <laughs> um, so that was also its own thing. Is mm -hmm. like I went to Catholic school, but we're not like Japanese religious at all. Like we don't have any cultural mm -hmm. religious thing. So like I had multiple identity, identity crises. So it sounds like you guys really were super aware of your cultural identity like very early on in life. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So how did we? How did you guys like kind of 
deal with that growing up. Like, I'm sure, like, as puberty hit and, like, oh my as God. high school came around, it got a lot more complicated. And, like, even moving into Manhattan, um, how did you kind of navigate all of these different worlds if you did? Well, for me, like, since I was always aware, it was definitely... I always was like, okay, well, I need to have, I'm going to go the Asian route. So mm. I had long black hair with bangs, mm. and I definitely try to play up being Asian because I would lose out on many TV shows. I would get down to the very end, producer calls and everything, and it'd just be, well, she doesn't, she can't fit in the family situation. So I would really try to play that part up. I mean, it worked great for modeling. I did so much modeling for, like, Mattel and, oh, God, major Japanese brands because they for some reason love mixed eight Japanese for, but do they, for modeling. For modeling. For modeling. Because then you don't have to talk about being halfsy. You can just look at it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to like theater and, and film it was I, I, I had such a hard time at that. And then I was homeschooled from junior high onward. So I really didn't have really? to deal with mm the puberty and the stuff the kids went through. I was mm-hmm. always in a the theater, mm-hmm. um, and that was my life. My mom, I think, did a very good job of, like, letting it be, like, letting me know who I was and who we were. Like, I wasn't particularly, I wouldn't say I wasn't, like, not close, but I didn't get to see my Japanese family very much because we lived in Oklahoma. They lived in El Paso. Most of the rest of my family lived in California and Hawaii. So, like, I didn't get to see my Japanese family very much, but... My mom always made it a point to, like, give me dolls that looked like me. And let me tell you, in the late 80s and early 90s, getting a doll that looks <laughs> Asian at all, right. but is also Japanese, is very, very difficult. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, like, yeah. I struggle with American Girl, too. Are you kidding? <laughs> oh, my God. No, but my mom, like, got me an American Girl doll that was a look-like-me doll, and she mm. designed it to look like me. Aww. So it had, like, blunt bangs and black hair. I still have it. Aww. When I cut my hair off when I was 10 years old, I cut the doll's hair off. Aww. Ruined her hair oh forever. God. But I still have that doll. She did that, and she, like, showed me, like, young kids' videos. And, my, like, my brother and I both had kimonos. We have um, Japanese middle names. We're very symbolically Japanese which is what they say about um, fourth-generation Japanese kids. Like, we have, we're symbolically, we're not really, we're American. Um, and that's the other thing is, as much as I was, like, had dolls that look like me, my mom was also like, well, you're American. And I was like, oh, but no one's asking me if I'm American. Everyone's asking me where I'm from and when I am. And that's really hard. So she never understood that. I never understood that. I actually identified as Southern before anything else mm. because my dad's side was Southern. I was born in Texas. Mm. I was growing up in Oklahoma. Like, we, my family's a hunting family. Mm. So, like, we grew up with guns and very intense gun safety. Like, I know that guns are a very polarizing thing right now. And so I had, like, this very, very strange transition of, like, Southern to, at one point, I was like, I'm Asian. And my mom was like, you're American. You're not born in Asia. You're born in Texas. To um, I actually didn't get into the Hapa mixed race thing until midway through high school mm. because my friend Brian and I, we were one of the – we were both the only um, Hapa kids in the whole school, and he's also half Japanese. We and a couple of our white friends formed a group called the um, Japanese Culture Club – a JCC because no. there are no oh my god in no. the, it's so embarrassing when I think about it now because there are no Jews in Oklahoma there were not Jews in our area I didn't know a Jewish person till I left and oh went god. to college so we didn't realize that was going to be like an issue <laughs> that was an actual thing already but we formed like a Japanese culture club where we like could kind of explore 
um, what it was to be Japanese specifically. Uh, exploring what it meant to be Asian American mm -hmm. didn't happen until I moved to Seattle out of college. So, like, I went through a solid 22 years of my life where I was like, I'm mixed, I'm Asian, I'm, South I'm this, I'm that, but, like, not knowing what any of that really meant and right. not having a vocabulary for that until uh, I was 22 and I started doing Asian American theater in Seattle. of like American versus yeah everything else yeah basically. girl mm -hmm. so in terms of kind of like that world mm -hmm. I mean here at Aachen we really do focus on culture mm -hmm. and like your ties to your culture so how has being Hapa um influence that kind of like and I'm not even talking about like Japanese slash Asian culture I mean even the other half like you well, said Russian Jewish I mean whatever. I grew up in a kosher household my mom okay. and grandma are Jewish so mm -hmm. therefore I'm Jewish so I always identified as a Jewish woman first okay um and honestly, that was what I was getting bullied about a lot was that I was, was Jew being Jewish, being Jewish, really? fucking Orange County. Really? <laughs> but yeah, so like I always identified as being Jewish, and then culturally, like for me, the first time I really I met some Hoppas was when I was doing Aladdin at Disney. Mm. Was the first time I was like, oh, you're half Asian too, cool. But we never really formed like a clique or or a group. It wasn't until I moved to New York City where I was like, oh my god, there's so many people that look like me. And we all have, like, the similar stories. And that's when I, like, found my tribe. For culture, like, being in Oklahoma, I, I mean, there wasn't really a way to engage in Asian American culture because it was, there wasn't an Asian American scene. Like, it was me, my mom, a couple of our friends. And for Asian, um, like, for Asian culture, we would, like, go to Oklahoma City. And it was a a big trip. We would make like one trip a year to go to the one big Asian grocery store. We could bring one friend to go to dim sum and it was a whole day oh God, and adorable. we would drop 300 to $500 oh depending on what we needed. And we also, um, we would do Japanese New Year's and we still do Japanese oh, New Year's. They're so fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we like, I know everyone's hung over as shit and I'm like, come over. And I'm, we make so much food. It was so good. It's, it's phenomenal. Um, but I don't think I got into like Asian American anything until Seattle because oh. there wasn't and, and there also just wasn't. like just for us as being a half Japanese you know because the whole internment thing it's it's right it's a whole right. whole thing whole another thing right. but yeah there's a thing that I always have to remind people of like the whole point of internment was not just to like separate and segregate the Japanese it was also to f for forced assimilation and that right. really occurred afterwards. Like, people really spread out and really just, like, that's... I I, th I have a theory that's part of why there's so many mixed Japanese people because of internment, because people, like, just moved out and were like, okay, well, we're white now. Um, that is a theory that I have, and I think that that's part of what makes Japanese people specifically so much more... I mean, Japanese culture in general is a sponge, we just, like, take everything and then make it our own. Like, mm -hmm. chopsticks are Chinese, kimonos are Chinese. Like, fried chicken for them is, like, probably Korean. Like, they do. They just, like, kind of steal everything and filter it through a Japanese lens. Mm -hmm. And I think the Japanese who came to America did the same thing. And then after internment, just did it that much more. So there, there, was, there were huge swaths of Japanese-American and Asian-American things that I just didn't get. And yeah. the hapa, like... I had the word hapa. My grandfather and my mother had told me that. Yeah, so my I, family too. They, yeah. they all they called me a hapa or, or Jap squared. Jap See, squared. I can't say that, but you can say I can that. Say Jewish American princess or Japanese American princess. Take your pick. 
I, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So going back to like kind of like this half and half idea, and I I think Alex, you brought this up at one point um, when you could play both sides of the coin. Um, when you could play white, but you could also play Asian. The whole idea of code switching or chameleoning is mm-hmm. something that is super popular um, in the Hapa Happy world, but also kind of just in general. I mean, how has this kind of code switching played in your life? I know, you, Alex, you touched upon it a little bit, but like even past childhood, have you been able to play both sides of the coin? Do you enjoy playing both sides of the coin? It, it's hard. I, I always feel that like since I was raised by my Jewish mom and grandma that mm-hmm. I, I always feel culturally I'm more Jewish mm. so whenever I was auditioning for like strictly Asian parts it's always hard for me to identify that way and I don't feel perhaps I'm the best who can represent which is part of something that Melissa and I discuss a lot yeah. on our podcast and with my theater company We So Hapa um, about what is representation versus presentation with a mixed race actor because mm-hmm. um, a lot of times we never do get to play just a mixed race person we're mm-hmm. always being forced into a box right. which we don't fit and especially in the United States um, Americans will always see the ethnic side and I say that in quotes first before they see the white side unlike I think it's Brazil where it's like if you're like a half black and half white you're white Really? Yeah, there's one. I'm yeah. pretty sure it's Brazil. It is. So no matter what, you're you are considered white. Mm-hmm. But here, it's what that one one eighth rule. No, no, no. It's the one drop rule. One drop rule mm-hmm. is so you're immediately then the you're immediately ethnic. Right. Here. Yeah. You have one drop of anything. So, you're that. Thing. So I was fortunate enough growing up that I did get to play get get to do fiddler once, <laughs> and I did get to play many right white roles. But as I've grown up now, I'm. Anytime I get called in, it's usually for uh, some, either it's nondescript or it's Asian. It's never says this girl's white. And God forbid I get an appointment for Fiddler. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's, it's the, which is part of the reason why I did create my own theater company, because I wanted to tell stories from the mixed race perspective right. that weren't being told. Right. People are actually really uncomfortable with ambiguous people. There was some study I read that really? was like, yes, people get really majority culture people, meaning in this case, like we're talking about race. So white people get really uncomfortable when they can't place you. Really? Yes. That's why we're constantly asked, like, what are you? What are you? I should just get it tattooed oh, to my forehead. Gotcha. People are. Oh, wow. Yes. Because That's very and interesting. it's. If I had a nickel for every time someone met me and within 10 minutes asked me that question yep. without even knowing me, without knowing anything about me, we're just like, oh my God, I saw you, you were friends with these people. How do you know them? What are you? Mm-hmm. Like the speed at which it comes up is very frustrating. And a lot of it does come from they don't know how, they like need to place yeah, you. They have to like before, systematically put you in a box. Yeah, before they right. can talk to you, which. In some ways, I get. In some ways, you have to, the, people just want to know how to relate to you mm-hmm. or like they're, maybe they're interested in Japanese culture or they've been to Japan and they just want to talk to you about something or whatever. I'm like, I don't know anything about Japan. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing is like, <laughs> there's so much mental calculus you have to go through to decide how much you want to divulge and whether or not you should even tell that person. Like, I, I just start, if I, don't, if I don't feel comfortable with you and I don't know you, I'll just be like, I'm American. I'm, I'm third generation. Mm. Yeah, and I'm, wait, <laughs> are you third or fourth? Third. third. Uh, we count our generations differently because of the war, so most people, when they <gasps> count their first generation as the first generation born in America, because... Mm-hmm. Right, that was my yeah. grandfather. Right. Um, oh. But 
Japanese people count their first generation as the first generation to move here oh. because it. That's why I asked you. Oh, shit. No, because no, it's still my grandfather. Your grandfather moved here. Or your great grandfather moved shit, here because my great grandfather moved here. I don't know. And I, so I'm fourth generation by Japanese standards. Oh. I'm Yongsei, but I'm third generation by American standards. Wow. Yes. I was gonna say I'm third generation. It's easier. Yeah. But it means something different. I don't know. <laughs> My family's not that Japanese. Every single time there's a death in the family, y'all get Chinese banquet. <laughs> is there any like just out of curiosity? Is there any kind of like guilt involved for not knowing some of these? Japanese oh my god, things? girl! I don't know if there is for you. You and I talk I about this a Jewish lot. Girl. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. I get. I feel hella. Like, I, what is the word I want? I'm all up in my feelings all of the time you about... You get hop ashamed? I, am, I don't really get hop ashamed very much, but I don't know. Do I? I do. You tell me. Can we define hop ashamed? It's when, like, one side, like, like say, for example, like, I go into oh, a, no, a Japanese restaurant, and they're like, do you want a fork? Or, like, you get mm. told that you're not holding your chopstick properly, which I don't. don't. I don't. But you know what? I can pick up the damn food. Okay. I was just talking to someone about that the other mouth. week. <laughs> I hold it like a she peasant. She wasn't even there, and I was like, have you seen Alex use chopsticks? I can barely hold a pencil, because I hold How it like a... How do you use chopsticks incorrectly? I, they're not supposed to cross at the top, uh-huh. and, my, and they're supposed to stay open oh. and pretty, and I just, like, <laughs> I get the food in my mouth. But, like, I all... Or, like, um, when I get... God, where I get my nails done, it's a Japanese-run uh, place, and when they found out I was have a Japanese last name, they were like... You're Japanese. You speak Japanese. I got so excited. Mm. I'm like, no. Mm. Yo, let's talk about and this. They, gave me, they just like really were like, oh. I'm like, my dad doesn't either. And they're like, oh. So, but okay. So that goes back to the generational thing, though. Is um, and the assimilation thing we talked about earlier. Um, and this is something very specifically. I feel like no. I guess this isn't specifically Japanese, but it is. Def- it's definitely a Hapa thing for sure, mm-hmm. because or at least it can be. I think it is. Um, most Japanese, well, first of all, a lot of Japanese schools were closed during the war. Japanese language isn't allowed in certain places, like a lot of up and down the West Coast. And after the war, most people were kind of shamed out of it mm-hmm. and just like one, again, one other kids to be American and were like, you don't get to learn any of it. <laughs> so there's like multiple generations of Japanese people post the war who don't speak it. Mm-hmm. So they don't teach their kids. So I, I always feel like bad about it and I'm always up in my feelings about it whenever people ask me because my grandmother is Okinawan. She is actually from Okinawa. She has a green card. She only speaks Japanese and my mother never taught me Japanese. My brother and I have gotten like my, we've like talked to her about it so many times. I've played like multiple other podcasts to her about Japanese people, about not just Japanese people, but like other people being like, Dad, why didn't you teach me Spanish? Why didn't my parents teach me this? Blah, blah. Mm. And my mom at one point was like, You didn't want to learn. And I was like, I know for a fact that's not true because I remember at many points being like, Can you please teach me some Japanese so I can talk to my own grandmother? Oh, wow. um, and I've tried to take classes and stuff, but it's really hard. Mm. And I need to learn some because we're going to go next year. But with all of that in mind, like, I also feel like part of the reason that my mother didn't teach me and why this is a Hapa thing is my dad doesn't speak it. So who's she going to communicate with? Like, she's not going to, like, she's, how is she going to just teach me? Right. And then, like, we're going to speak Japanese and my father's not going to. Like, it's Mm -hmm. so much easier when you're in a a multilingual household Mm -hmm. and multiple people speak it and... There's that thing, and, like, yeah, my my mother 
also speaks like a very distinct dialect of mm-hmm. Japanese because she grew yeah. up in Okinawa right. on an army base. So like in the 70s, so like the language is different, the dialect is different. Like she's not gonna she teaching is difficult. Like mm-hmm. you know, it's not necessarily my mother's job to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, but I meet a lot of people now who are Hapa who speak it because their parents came later. Mm-hmm. Who's like their parents are either immigrants themselves. Mm-hmm. Or they've they've moved here in the mid '80s, or their parent their grandparents moved here after the war, and so they're like they can speak it because their whole family speaks mm-hmm. it, and blah blah blah. But something very specifically about the sh- the war like knocks it out. And actually, I get shamed more by white people. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't usually get. Shamed I get by shamed white by white people who really? are like. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, this is a podcast, and no one can see Ruthie's face, but she looks so sad. Um, I have. Yeah. I definitely get more. Uh, more white people who are like, "Oh, you don't speak Japanese, don't you?" Like, it's actually the question I dread more than anything. Like, after "What are you?" is "Do you speak Japanese?" And I'm like, "No, I don't." It's a whole generational thing. There's a history to it. Like, do you speak German? <laughs> I mean, that's. That's right? yeah, right. That's like it's like okay, your ancestors are German, so like, do you right. speak German? Right. But that's right. the other thing is, if you're Asian, you're supposed to speak your mother right. language because obviously your parents I are fobs. Be speaking Yiddish, then. So that's the <laughs> other thing I've gotten a lot of recently is people asking me if my mother speaks English, and I'm like, remember that? Because I now when people are like, "What are you?" and I say my mother's Japanese American, mm-hmm. and I accent the American, and they go, "Does she speak English?" and I'm like, "Did I not say she was American?" Oh my god. Oh god. Oh my god. <laughs> Moving forward, um, we all came to New York City, and I'm sure a bunch of things kind of changed. Like, I mean, moving to New York City is a huge game changer in anyone's life, Mm. basically. But moving from Cali, moving from Oklahoma, like, how did being in the big city, the Big Apple, like, starting a career, like, in the entertainment industry, kind of just in general, how has that affected um, how you identify and, like, how you see yourself? Because I'm sure it's changed a lot. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. I, I honestly feel like I've come into my being my own woman now mm-hmm. since I've moved to New York and it's taken me a while. I'm kind of a late bloomer in that respect and finding myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but like since coming to New York, I, I was forced to be more independent upon myself and, and, and without having the support of my mom and grandma there for me. Um, and also just, I now definitely identify as Hapa. Like I, I mean, still I'm Jewish. So like I host like Passover dinners at my house. Yeah, stuff like great. that. Yeah, stuff like that. But like, no, the uh, best like um, fried matzo and devil yep. not devil eggs, egg salad. Yep, I live for that egg salad. So yeah, so like you know, like, but I definitely I I am Hapa. That is what I am. I'm mixed race. Um, and but I've also created the community around me to reflect that. Right. So I, I it's not just I, I've kind of had to create. I, I created my own community because I didn't have it mm-hmm. in California. Wow, that's beautiful. I didn't move to New York first. I moved to Seattle and then did a lot of theater out there. And then that, well, that's not even true. I moved to New Mexico. There were no Asians. I did college there doing theater. Moved to Seattle. Did a lot of Asian American theater out there. And I felt more Asian there than Hapa because I was just, like, so immersed into an Asian American group. Like, Mm -hmm. there were, at the time that I was there, me and two other Hapas really like there weren't that many hapas like mm-hmm. largely the the community was asian, asian. um and on, and the funny thing is like 
Lauren Yee, who's a writer, um, she has a play going on at The Atlantic right now that mm. B.D. Wong is in. Mm-hmm. Um, she was visiting, and, like, she knew people I knew, and we were having dinner, and she was like, oh, there's a huge hopper community out there. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and she was, because I was like, am I even going to find an Asian community? And she was like, no, 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 there's a hopper community for you. And then when I moved out here, I met Alex through Facebook, of all places. <laughs> and, like... <laughs> And collect hoppers. <laughs> but truly, when she says she built a community around her, like, I cannot impress enough how she, that, it really is all her. Like, people think we're insane when we walk into a place because we, we roll, like, six, seven hoppers deep <laughs> at a time. Yeah. Truly, like, and, but all of that is because of Alex. Like, I don't think any of us would have met each other previously. I mean, people, like... Like, a bunch of us knew each other through National Asian Artist Project, run by Bayerk Lee, mm-hmm. who is also Hapa. Yes. Yes. Um, so sh- so we, I, I knew, like, that everyone, we because we're half Asian, we always roll with, like, some sort of or- theater organization, and that's, like, one of the major ones here in New York City. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's yeah. kind of how I started meeting all the Hapas. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, you're Hapa? I'm Hapa. But, and that's the thing, friends. is we could have... <laughs> We all could have, like, kept going and, like, being kind of, like, floating around, like, Mm -hmm. around each other. Mm -hmm. Alex is really the one who was like, I have a theater company and let's all work together. I have an idea. Let's form a magazine. I have an idea. Let's form this other thing. And, like, it's really just snowballed from there. And only the past, like, year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, We So Hop has been around for, it'll be two years in September. Yeah. That's my theater company, um, and I had a I had a blog prior mm-hmm. to all this called Miso Hapa. Uh, thanks, Sarah McKay, for that name. Uh, <laughs> and that's how I actually met her because I interviewed her for mm-hmm. my blog, mm-hmm. and that's how I met my husband as well. <laughs> I interviewed him for my blog, and he never gave me the answers back. But um, and that's how like I and I started tying everyone into that, and then I was like, hey, uh, Rebecca and Kaylin, who are also Hapas, like. What if we did a cabaret that just featured all hoppas? Mm-hmm. And we fundraised and like started a theater company off of that. And then from there, I was like, okay, I can't keep running this blog by myself. It's just too much. What if we did a magazine mm-hmm. for everyone? And it was a lifestyle magazine. And like we talked about what it means like skincare for mixed race Asians. It's yes. a bitch. It's a thing. <laughs> it's a bitch hair thing. Like a lot of us, like my hair used to be straight, but now it's like curly wavy. And mm-hmm. I don't, you know, it's like. It's just different because having mixed skin. And honestly, that is how I found my esthetician who now writes for me. Mm-hmm. I saw her. I came when I moved to New York City. I was like, God, I need to find someone that does good facials. Looking on these websites, look on Exhale. And I was like, this girl looks Hoppa. I'm going to get an appointment with her. And then I was like, are you Hoppa? Yeah. So That's it's, awesome. it, I think, like, we pass on that experience and that identity as well. Yeah. Like, so, so yeah, I definitely did. That's That's kind of how Hoppa Mag came about. There's, yeah, we're, I feel like really... The first grouping to be like, if you are a half Asian of any kind, please come to us. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like, we want to hear your voices and feature you and build that community. That's amazing. I love what you guys are doing. I think it's super, it's super special just because I know, I know a lot of um, halfies, hapas. They don't know that there's a whole community out there who like talks about it. But like, this has really opened my eyes to a whole new community of people who are super aware and like, consistently trying to figure things out and like not afraid about it and I think that's really special and I love that I was able to find you guys and yeah this is really nice I I just want I I 
you know, things have definitely gotten better for the next generation. Like, I just see more representation of what right. on TV now. Like, mm-hmm. like Disney has a show of a Hoppa girl. Yeah, I've seen commercials. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, you know, a mixed race couple with mm. their Asian, like, Hoppa kids, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, now. And there that are. was something I had never seen before. Oh, my God. I cried a, a car commercial. Yeah, me too. I cried. My boyfriend was like, what? And I was like, there's just, like, a mixed race baby. Yeah. yeah. I'm so sorry. You're going to have to edit that noise. But yeah, like, I, I was like, oh, my God. This is this is amazing. Oh, my God. So, like, I, I definitely think that it hopefully will be better for the generation coming up. But, like, I just want them to know that there is a community for them and that you will – I want them to see themselves in yeah. media. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, we, don't, we didn't. Right. Right. Well, and I also think it's worth stating that things have – I mean – a lot of things are still terrible. Like, don't get me wrong. I do feel like for Asian, for like full East Asian Americans, things are at least things are moving and they're moving fast Absolutely. and they're um, moving with a lot of momentum. Mm-hmm. So I think that that has given way for us to even have the opportunity to kind of branch off and be like, hey, we're also going to do this over here. Like, you guys are good. You don't need us right now. We're going to, like, build this community and, like, follow you. Yeah, right. We have so much more to figure out about our identities before we get to, like, who are we as people? It's true. You're absolutely right. Yeah, because we have to learn how to identify ourselves because people identify us our whole lives, yeah. and until we can be like, I'm actually this, and you need to stop assuming that, things. that would be an interesting article for us to write. That would be an interesting article for Hoppamag. We should get on that. Yeah, we should. We'll, we'll do that later. Okay. <laughs> um, so just moving forward, like, what can people expect from Hoppa? I know you guys just released a new issue. Mm-hmm. Congratulations Thank on you. that. Thank you. Um, so you want to give us just, like, a little, like, sneak peek as to what you can find in the issue or what you can find in past issues and, like, what's to come for Hoppa? Do you want to you want to talk about that? Oh yeah, because <laughs> she's the project. Manager. I'm the project manager. I'm the one who's like, <laughs> I'm the one who sits on my computer and I'm like, these are the deadlines and this is the organizing and I made a table. Alex, make some decisions. Yeah. Um, what do we have? We always have recipes. Recipes, uh, book reviews, uh, like basic stuff like that that you'd find in any normal magazine. Mm-hmm. But we also have a lot of interviews with um, celebrities. I mean, like by celebrities, I mean like we have Lewis Tan who's on Into the Badlands yes. right now. Yeah. Um, who else? We have Chloe Bennett. Yes. Um, for her organization, Run, and we have um, who else? We have like we have a variety of singers, songwriters, and pop singers, and photographers. Um, we have writers. We'll have Jamie Ford soon, mm-hmm. um, who wrote Hotel on the Corner of Bitter and Sweet, if anyone's read that book. Um, we feature a lot of visual artists. And not, we, I mean, like, we're trying to, we came from an arts world. And, we're still and that artists. that's why it is so very heavily entertainment, because we that is our background. Right. So if, if we were both sci- scientists, then you'd have a bunch of science articles, right? right. That so being this, said. This is, that being said, if you're a science hopper, come write for me. <laughs> yes, please. Because we'll- we... Yeah, it'd be great. We would love, yeah. We want to also make the magazine as um, intersectional as possible. Yes. yes. So yes. we want, like, queer voices, uh, people from the disabled community, like, mm-hmm. any, like, people who are Could trans. Me, but write for me. <laughs> so if people do want to write for you, where can they find you? You can email at thehoppamag, H-A-P-A-M-A-G, at gmail.com, or go to our website, www.hoppamag.com, or any mm-hmm. of the Insta- Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, which is at the Hoppamag. Yeah. Oh, and I, our one year is coming up in September. No way. So we'll be around for one year. Um, also, okay, so, yes, so girl, yes. if you want to meet us, 
On Thursday the 14th, we are a community sponsor for Loving Day, which will be happening on the Upper West Side. Um, it is a celebration of mixed race people. Yeah, Loving Day is... The official day is June 12th because Loving Day commemorates the Loving versus Virginia Supreme Court decision. Um, but it's basically the law that struck down um, anti-miscegenation laws nationwide, meaning interracial couples could get married and be recognized nationwide, much like the same-sex marriage um, yeah. law multi case multiple years ago. Multiple years ago. Like two years ago. Not very long ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so and we have an interview with Kentanabe, who is their founder, who is also a Hapa. Yeah. Yep. It'll be fun. There's free beer. Yeah. Um, just on my end, this has been really great. Thank you guys oh, thank so you. much for coming to sit down with us. It is it's been a pleasure. Um, I learned so much about the Hapa community or like even Japanese culture that I did not know before. Um, so this has been truly eye-opening for me, and it has been super helpful to know that there's a community of hapas out there. So any hapa that I run across, I will definitely send to you guys. Yes, please. And you don't have to be Japanese. We just happen to be Japanese. Yeah, like, yeah, bring yeah, like, everybody. Yeah, we have half Korean. We have... we Half Filipino. Filipinos. Half Indian. And half, like, South Asian. Half yeah, Thai. One of like, our wonderful friends, Maya Jeffries, who's a brilliant artist, is half Indian, half Japanese. And, like, and yeah. my husband's half... Half Chinese, so, you know. Yeah, you don't even, don't, half like, Thai, if you're half Mexican and half Asian, like, please come to us. We half, want everyone. Half black, half one. Asian. Yes, yes. Brad Jenkins, half black, half Asian. We have him in our second issue. Yeah. <laughs> um, we want everybody. So just, yeah. like, come along. If you're Quapa, come along. We want you. Thank you guys again thank so you. much. This has been great. Um, and thank you so much for all of our listeners for tuning into this episode of Dash American and listening to our stories. We encourage a continual discussion about culture and identity, so please continue to share, subscribe, like, and feel free to give us any feedback you may have about our episode on our website, whether you agree or disagree with what was said here. Uh, thank you guys so much, and thank you to our listeners, and we'll see you in two weeks for another episode of Dash American. Thanks, guys.